New York City, 1869. Testimony is ongoing in a sensational preliminary hearing. A photographer, William Mumler, has been accused of fraud. He was taking portraits of people, and on their photographic prints, the subjects would surprisingly be joined by an apparition. Allegedly, according to Mumler, this would be an apparition of a deceased loved one, a practice known as spirit photography. For those unaware of the phenomena, a simple search online will produce dozens, if not hundreds, of examples of the practice. Today, these pictures from that era can look cheesy and fake, but in the early days of the art and technology of photography, people were more easily sold on the authenticity, especially with the popularity of a belief at the time, spiritualism. At the end of the seventh day of the hearing, the judge dismissed the case for lack of evidence. The prosecution failed to achieve their goals, even after calling celebrity witness P.T. Barnum, a self-proclaimed expert in humbuggery. It's worth noting that the judge thought spirit photos were fake, but Mumler's process was watched, inspected, and broken down by many experts, and none could figure out how Mumler created his ghostly pictures. Mumler's case is connected directly to our cultural beliefs with media today, and we still don't know how he did it. This is A Study of Strange. Welcome to the show. I'm Michael May, and today we're covering the story of William Mumler, who is the father of spirit photography. And to talk with me today is filmmaker and my former co-host and co-creator of Autobiography and Autobiography Cold Cases on Motor Trend TV. Everybody go watch it. Um, is Timothy <laughs> Donahue, uh, the well, tall well, dweeb. very much. The tall dweeb. Yeah, right. Of the two. That's how I stand out. That's my only, yes, my only yeah. differentiating uh, descriptor. Right, right. As you, are, uh, to, as you are medium. I don't know. Did you land on one? Are you medium? Because I, I, I don't say average because that seems sort of diminutive or something or <laughs> reductive in a, in a way that's, you know, basic, like basic dweeb. No, it's not I, true. I am a very average person, so I'll take it. But no, I think it was small dweeb is what we kept small, saying. Okay. And, and for everybody listening, uh, we had uh, some some uh, a fan that was calling us tall dweeb and, <laughs> yeah. and small dweeb. That's generous. Online. Generous to call him a fan, but yeah, yes. somebody out there on the on the internet. It was one of the one of the great moments of of the early days of that show is is seeing reactions from people out in the world, positive or negative. Because the negative ones are just. I mean, if you have the right attitude about it, I think it's all just kind of funny. Right. You can't right. take it too seriously. I'm sure it's harder when you're much more in the public eye than we are. But uh, but yeah, it was, it was just the choice of words was so fantastic. Like yes. The tall dweeb and the, <laughs> the, the other dude. It's just, yes. it's just so funny. So yeah. funny. Uh, anyway. well, one, one of the reasons why I wanted you on one of my early episodes is because I can blame you if the show doesn't end up well. Like, I feel confident Great. being like, hey, it's Tim's fault. <laughs> Um, and the other reason, though, is because we're dealing with photography, you have a background in film. Didn't you work for mm -hmm. Co Kodak? Was it Kodak for a while? Yeah, Kodak and Entertainment Imaging a number of years ago with uh, yeah. our, our mutual friend, Matt Lewis, who's a, a producer on Autobiography. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we did. Uh, we worked for their cinematography workshops and got our sort of uh, uh, hands dirty in that world for sure back when more people were shooting film. Which yeah, sadly exactly, they are not exactly. Now. And although William Mumler yeah. did not use film, but the the processes of which you know photography is happens, uh, you were more knowledgeable than me about it. And I know that you're also interested in photography itself. So, uh, sure. I thought it would be great to get your expertise on on this strange, strange story. Um, well, I hope I can help. Well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, it may all go down in flames. Yes. And it will be totally my fault. Even if you weren't on the episode, I would probably still blame you. So uh, right. that's fair. <laughs> absolutely. So let, let me define spirit photography, uh, which I mean, it's pretty simple. But just to clarify everything, a, a picture or image that supposedly captures a ghost is what spirit photography is. And it's still you can still define video or pictures that happen today in the modern era as spirit photography that, you know, catches the weird 
image in the window or a lot of people like to talk about orbs 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 Orbs. there you go (laughs) Um, those all fall into the classification of spirit photography but today we're focused on the early days of of the art of photography and the style dictated by the technology of the time with spirit photos and you can look these up if anybody's listening and curious just google spirit photography 19th century or spirit photography mumbler and you'll see images that you've probably seen before without realizing it and they're all rather from a modern eye kind of fake looking they can be humorous they can just be weird but i've been fascinated with these for probably 10 years because there's just a really interesting tone and even if they look fake they're really creepy and you can kind of guess if you know anything about photography it's a form of double exposure is how generally these early spirit photographers achieved this effect of this ghostly figure that would be on photos the William Mumler story is an interesting one because a it's very strange since no one ever figured out quite how he achieved Uh, his spirit photographs. But also it ties into conversations we're having today about believing pictures or videos. So in the modern era, we have social media, we have news, and we all kind of, we're all a little skeptical, no matter what your beliefs are about what you see, you always want to investigate something more. But when photography first came out, people were heralding it as this like truth teller, this way to to tell truth and be real. And Mumler is the first photographer that kind of made people question what they saw in photographs. Uh, And I just find that to be a a really interesting thing because it it really gets down to questioning the truthfulness of pictures and some people believe and some people don't. No, no, no. I was gonna say, yeah, in the age of in the age of Photoshop, once you've sort of heard that word and seen a few magazine covers in the last 20 years, you're just like, okay, it's all and movies. I mean, and everything that's image related now is 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 touched uh, and sometimes very kind of uh, aggressively and yeah it's really hard to believe anything at this point it feels like it's so easy easy to manipulate and you know deep faking and all that it's just it's yeah, it's yeah. at such a high level now that looking back at at media from back then it's very easy to go oh yeah it looks kind of fake uh, but we've just we're, we, we're so cynical now i think looking at everything it's hard yeah. not to be yeah and this is the start of that this is the start of that yeah. cynicism because this spread very quickly because of the spiritualist movement which i'll get into in a minute just to give some background on everything mm-hmm. but people started to realize these can't be real for a number of reasons um so yeah it's really interesting to sort of see that human nature does not change and now we're we're very cynical of of things that we see in media um, there are other spirit photographers that became quite famous. Probably the the most famous one other than William Mumler is William Hope, who came around decades later. The interesting thing with William Hope, though, is that he was caught multiple times. Um, but because people, <laughs> spiritualists were were very hardcore in their beliefs, as you can imagine. So even though William Hope was found to be a fraud many times, people still kept going to him and wanting his advice and wanting his pictures. Uh, But he was found many times where Mumler was never caught in the process, even after a lot of scrutiny. So today we're going to be asking, was he real? And if not, how did he make these photos? And we're even going to go into a little bit of his most famous photograph, which you've probably seen without realizing it, Tim. But uh, there's a photograph of Mary Todd Lincoln with the ghost of Abraham Lincoln over her shoulders. And that is a William yeah. Mumbler sure, photo. Sure. Um, okay. I've so, seen that, yeah. Yeah. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, we will have to go on a, a couple of tangents later on in this story just to give some background on the spiritualist movement and also the history of photography. But before we do, let's go ahead and start on William Mumler's life. Okay. William Mumler was born in 1832. He became a jewelry engraver in Boston near, near your hometown. You're from new England. You know, Uh, Baltimore, vaguely, vaguely. I got a lot of family in Boston now. Yes. Yes. Uh, indeed. Same with me. Um, it's meaning I have a lot of family. I'm not from new England though. Uh, Oh, okay. <laughs> this is all this Very is all relatable. this is Very all relatable stuff. Yeah, this is all great, right. great audio. Uh, <laughs> so William Mumler became a jewelry engraver uh, as an adult. He's always showed an interest in chemistry. And there is obviously you're starting to see some connections with early photography because of the, the chemi- chemistry elements mm-hmm. of photography there. Uh, and he seemed like a, a decent fellow. People commented on him later on that he was always really hardworking. He was well respected in his field and sort of a, a nice guy that people liked. Now, 
those of you out there that may think, oh, he's just a con man, he created spirit photographs and he went to trial for being a con man, uh, he actually had a chance to be a legitimate con man. Is that this is gonna that sounds weird to say? I can't wait to hear what that means. Yeah. Well, he what? so he suffered from uh, dyspepsia. I think I'm saying that right. It's sort of improper digestion. People that suffer from acid reflux and issues mm. like me. So I I can relate to this. Mm. But he concocted his own like health medicine in the early 1860s. Um, that he gave out. And and this is an era before the government said, oh, this is safe to have. And these things actually work. (laughs) And the term snake oil salesman comes from this era. Uh, He could have been a snake oil salesman and made money on this concoction he created, but he didn't. He actually gave it away for free. And he believed in it so Hmm. wholeheartedly that he made a lot of it and gave it all away for free. That's just part of his personality that I found very interesting when I was researching this is that he, he didn't easily fall into this con man thing. So if you are questioning the validity of what he could do as a medium with photography, that is an interesting story. <laughs> in the early 1860s, he started to take an interest in photography as a lot of people were um, back sure. then. It was a, a growing art form. And he started visiting a photography studio near his work that was owned by a woman named Hannah Stewart. And whether he was more interested in photography or Hannah Stewart, we can't say for certain, but she she later became his wife. And Okay. What, so there's <laughs> there yes, yes. Okay, yeah. So it's at best fifty fifty. But yeah, clearly yeah, there's something else going indeed. on. Indeed. Uh and also she is a spiritualist and a medium. So that might have been his foray into understanding a bit of that world <laughs> that he was gonna get into. And then all of a sudden, he was into all of that. Indeed. It is interesting how that works. And she doesn't get enough credit in this because he would use her studio, her equipment. You you, you don't hear her name brought up often when you just casually kind of read about William Mumler. But she is a very important part of this story. I'm going to do my first tangent here with we got to give a little bit of background with the history of photography. um, Because we have to understand how pictures were taken, because that may help us figure out whether he was the real deal or not in order to figure out how these things kind of work. Humans, we had always been tinkering around with ways to capture images. Uh, People out there may know about the camera, camera obscura, which, you know, you Mm -hmm. poke a little hole in something and shine some light in and try to try to see an image. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago, this was going on. In the 1820s, we have our first instance of a fixed image being sort of developed and captured with a camera in a process known as heliography. I think I'm saying that right. Is that right, Tim? Heliography? Heliography. 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 Oh, boy. See, I look look all this up beforehand, everybody, but I can't talk. Tim will tell you how many takes we had to do on our TV show. I, I... it's not all your fault. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm terrible with pronunciation of words. It is even after going to theater school and uh, and learning all that, I'm terrible. So I, I do apologize. I try my best. Um, so this is using uh, light sensitive materials to produce an images, and typically heliography was used in engraving. Interestingly enough, it wasn't really being developed in terms of of using it for pictures that we know of today. But this did lead to later Louis Daguerre, who everybody kind of considers the first, the inventor of the the camera, the modern camera as we know it, um, and his process uh, with the daguerreotype. Daguerreotype, um, that's right. Yep, yeah. yep. You got that one. That's good. Yeah, absolutely. See, that one I know. That's good. That's good that one I do know. Um, tra- now, this is traditionally known as the first photographs. They would use polished silver-plated copper, and you would kind of polish it down to like a mirror-like finish. And you would treat it with chemicals that would make it light sensitive. And when it was exposed in a camera for however long it was deemed necessary to get the proper exposure, you would then fume that with mercury vapor and rinse it, dry it out and seal that plate behind glass. And you would hopefully have caught an image. And it was it's a big process. I actually have modeled for a, uh, a friend of mine who's an artist who was using uh, daguerreotype and tintype photography. And he was tinkering around with those old processes. And it was so much fun to 
be part of that and see it happen. And also the chemicals are very scary. So it sounds um, very dangerous. And yeah. Borderline yeah. just flat illegal now, probably to even <laughs> do it. It's like once you get into mercury vapor, yeah. it's like, this is a bad, this is a bad, uh, bad yes. thing to be around, but uh, I don't outdoors, I guess. Uh, well, we took pictures outdoors. That was mainly for light. And I do think the chemicals are different than what oh, they yeah. used at the time. And it probably because of the mercury vapor, there's something that does something similar. I just don't remember specifically what it was. This is like 10 yeah, years ago. There's probably a bunch of heroin in it and all yep. kinds of weird yep. stuff. That you can't oh, of get. course. It's kind of hard to get these days. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. All those chemicals are very slow to react compared mm. to, I mean, what we're used to now for sure, especially with our phones and things like that. All those chemicals are very, very slow. Yes. So that's why you see a lot of old photos and, you know, half the people are dead still. And then a few of them are kind of blurry faced because they like looked once and it kind of smears the image. It's just like a, basically an open shutter for you know, it might be minutes, minutes, just exactly, to get, uh, an exposure correct, or, or in the ballpark. But uh, you know, those early days were were crazy, right? And, and just to clarify for people that may not actually know much about photography, an open shutter is essentially you're just letting light in to it. If you're using film, you're letting light to to react with the film and with the daguerreotype. You're having light react to that plate. Even tintypes, same thing. So, uh, so the te- technology of photography it was 1829 when the daguerreotype came out, I believe. And uh, actually, the, not to nerd out for a second, but the, I think the first, consider the first photograph is a picture of a busy street in Paris by Daguerre. Mm. And everybody's probably seen this in old textbooks and things, and, and you may not remember it, but you can easily find it online. But it looks like an empty street, except for uh, a guy polishing shoes down the road. But it was actually a very busy street, but because the exposure time had to be so great that all the movement of people walking and the carts and the horses, all of that, you just can't see any of it. It just looks like an empty street. And it was the shoe polisher that was actually in one position long enough to be captured on camera. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's funny. The decades after 1829 up through 1860-ish with William Mumler, the technology advanced very quickly. It became very popular. You had photograph, photograph, you had photography studios uh, popping up on like every corner of the major major cities of the world, including the United States. So in Boston and New York, primarily, there were just dozens of photography studios. Now, Mumler used the collodion process, which is use a glass plate instead of that metal, like on the daguerreotype. And you put chemicals on it, you kind of wash it with chemicals, you expose it to light in a camera, and this creates a negative. And that glass plate can be recycled. So they would take a picture, you would get it on the glass plate, and then you could make copies. And then once you made a handful of copies, you would clean that plate and you would use it again for later pictures. And that's key to the Mumler uh, process of creating uh, spirit photography because you automatically you start to realize you can may not clean it the glass well enough. It may leave part of an image on there that you can't see with your naked eye. And then when you develop the next picture on top of it, you may get this double exposure type effect that looks ghostly and weird. Sure, sure. And so that's the first kind of theory to think about um, when we understand how Mumler was actually taking pictures. So when 1860 comes around, uh, we also have to take just a quick note of new technologies, Morse code, wiring, all the forms of, of photography. And before that, none of that existed. So things like the art of photography and Morse code, they seemed supernatural to people. So we're starting to see this in sort of in the zeitgeist of the time. This all paints a picture of the world of how photography was quickly being seen as a way to remember capsular capsular. There you go, Tim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I know how to host I wrote that word. Yeah, that's my word. <laughs> Thank I'm you. always making you say that. Yes. Oh, hey, Tim and making me say capture. Actually, what were you? Was that capsular? 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 No, no I was just going to say capture. Capture. Oh, I capture. Just, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, this paints a picture of the world and how photography was quickly being seen as a way to remember, capture, and extend connection with, with loved ones. Because before this, hmm. people had to sit down and pose for paintings, which took a long time. They were very expensive photography. Yeah, not many people could do that, I imagine. No. So photography changed all that. And we think it's annoying to sit there for a long picture like they, they would have back then. But if you think about posing for a painting or the fact that anybody in your family can take a photo, it, it changed the world. It really changed the world. Back to William Mumler here. 
he starts going to Hannah Studios, Hannah Studios, he starts going to Hannah Stewart's studio more often in Boston. He's learning photography. He's taking more and more pictures. He's learning his own his own skills and technology and style and tone and what to do. And 19 months after the start of the Civil War, Mumler was in Mrs. Stewart's studio and he prepared a plate to take a picture. Supposedly he was alone and he stood in front of the lens of the camera himself to take a self portrait. Uh, he took the lens off for about a minute to for the proper exposure time. He then put the lens back on after a minute, went to the dark room and he started developing that plate and a ghostly image of a woman appeared in the chair in front of William Mumler. Now, allegedly, Tim's favorite word, <laughs> allegedly, William Mumler thought that he made a mistake. He didn't jump to the conclusion that, oh, it's a ghost. He was just like, oh, I, di I didn't clean the plate well enough. Um, this is really weird, but it looks kind of That's a reasonable cool. reaction. Yes. I must have done something technically incorrect. And yes. This, this is the result. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, however, this was kind of sticking on his mind and he was very curious about it. And he took it to Hannah Stewart, and who would later become his wife. And he showed it to her and she said, oh, that's a spirit. Probably just like oh. that. She was probably like, oh, hey, that's a oh, spirit. Yeah, that's, Look at that one. Yeah, you, you got one. Good on <laughs> she you. She was in no way biased to yes. think that way. That's right. <laughs> Um, so some days, I can't use this in any way. <laughs> so some days later, William Mumler visited a, a gentleman named H F Gardner, who was a, a well-known spiritualist and Mumler approached him, took him the photograph to, to get Gardner's sort of input to find out if he thought it was real or if there's something to this. And here we go, Tim, this is, uh, this is what makes this show special. I sent you that email with those scripts attached. If you can open, oh yes, if you can open the number one, number one, this okay. is a, this is a dramatic recreation of what it may have been like with William Mumler visited HF Gardner. So Tim, I will, I will read the sort of the stage directions and let's see, do you want to be Gardner or do you want to be William Mumler? Who do you want to be? Um, I guess that's up to I, I I'll be uh I'll be Mumbler. Okay. I, I literally okay. haven't looked ahead. I don't know who has more no, no. lines. It doesn't no, you're not you're not supposed to look I'll at it. This makes it uh this okay. makes it more a, realistic. A, a title page. You didn't fill anything in. No, no, don't worry about the title <laughs> page. Go, go, go to the first page. <laughs> Clearly you didn't either. Okay. So, <laughs> all right. All right. I, so, I, I, yeah, so you're reading uh, mm -hmm. Mumbler and I'll read directions and Gardner. All right. Here tell me go. tell me when to proceed to uh uh the first the first page. Oh, you can go ahead and pull it up. Yeah. Okay. It's not that's yeah. Just nope, it's, too, it's, uh -oh. it's too big. I need to shrink the text. Tech issues. Nope, Tim, I'm good. Tim doesn't know how to use a computer. Go. Everybody. I go off script a lot, so yes. this is not this is new for me. Okay. All right. Here we go. It's a clear, brisk New England morning, and Dr. H. F. Gardner, a respected member of the spiritualist movement, is sitting in his living room, sipping coffee and reading the latest musings in the Banner of Light publication. Two loud knocks come from his front door. Spirit. Spirit, knock again if you're real and wish to communicate with me. Another not knock. doing the accent. Well, what would the <laughs> proper what would the proper accent be? Knock again if you're real and you wish to communicate. All right, here I'll, I'll give <laughs> so, it a shot. Something in a just give it a yeah. Kennedy. All just right, throw a Kennedy at it and see what happens. So another knock from the front door. Yippee! I knew this confounded <laughs> spiritualism was real. Another two knocks from the front door. It's someone at the door. Wow, my accent has already changed like six Di times. Dialect number three. Yeah. You, you're now English. It's great. Just go with it. I'm trying just, to do that like mid. Do I'm, I'm trying to do the mid Atlantic thing, which Ooh, is just do, just yeah. lock your t your your front teeth together and give it. Totally wrong geography. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, Gardner <laughs> Gardner opens the door and finds Mr. William H. Mumler standing there. Hello, Doctor Gardner. I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm William Mumler. Mrs. Stewart's gentleman friend, I remember. What can I do for you? You mind if I step inside? <laughs> that skewed hard Irish. Didn't mean it to. It's just where it went. I have upon my possession a photographical print that has caused a quandary. And let me simply say, your expertise in the supernatural sciences, which is a funny combination of words, would be most helpful. Thank you. Gardner gestures for Mumbler to enter. 
In Gardner's living room moments later, Gardner is holding a print from Mumler's self-portrait and is staring intently at the ghostly figure thereupon. I had assumed this was a mistake, a dubious metaphysical manifestation. However, Miss Stewart's opinion is that this is a real spirit. I'm inclined to agree with that. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm not even trying to <laughs> do that, everybody. That's just happened. <laughs> just happened. That's the best part. It just happened. Uh, I'm inclined Sorry. to agree with her. Have you told me everything about its creation? Yes. You swear to be telling the truth. I've never lied about anything, and I never will. Do me a favor. Please write down the details of uh, you've shared on the back of this print, and I will share it with the highly esteemed peers for their inspection. Mumler talks as he writes the following. This photograph was taken of myself by myself on Sunday when there was not a living soul in the room besides me. The form on my right I recognize as my cousin who passed away about 12 years since. Very well. I, I think Fate, we, I think we nailed. Oh, yes, exactly. Very I think well. we, we nailed that recreation. I think we sounded, Very little to trim. That's good. Yes, I think we, we sounded exactly like what they did. Like 11 different people yep. <laughs> trying to do that. Like, that's, the, that's the way yeah. people spoke back then. They don't have recordings from back then. I, I actually think that's the way no. everybody spoke. Unless they happen to have a wax cylinder rolling yeah. at the very moment, which would just sound like... <laughs> you know, from like 30 feet away. Mm-hmm. And it would be too fast or yes. whatever. But. So... The interesting thing here that happened to Mumler is after he visited Gardner, he kind of put it in the back of his mind, didn't hear anything for a while. And then about a week later, he found those exact words that he wrote that you read at the end on the back of that print. He found those printed in the Herald of Progress, a spiritualist publication based in New York City. And then those words and the picture were also shared with other spiritualist sort of magazines and newspapers of the time. Viral. So, it went viral. Yes, the the viral of eighteen of the eighteen sixties. <laughs> right. It probably took about three months, but it went yeah, it was for the for the day, that was quick. Yes. So Mumler had kind of been a non believer and again, quote unquote, allegedly had been kind of embarrassed when this information spread around and he his words were being quoted in these newspapers. Until um, until it's a nice <laughs> until deal. money became involved. Dun, dun, dun. So I'm he, guessing that's, uh, that's that's conjecture on my that's, point. Anyway, you're right. It's there. a safe bet. So it's one day safe bet. it is a safe bet because one day he showed up to Hannah Stewart's studio and the place was packed with spiritualists. And in the middle of the crowd was Hannah and she could not wait to have William Mumler come in and introduce him to all the potential clients that were in her mm-hmm. studio. Dun, None dun, of this dun. is shocking. <laughs> so it's... Let's do my second tangent of the day, but it's a very important okay. These are important tangents. First, photography was very important. And now spiritualism. It's important to understand spiritualism because it's a, a major cause of of William Mumler's successes and failures at the time. It's why people believed these were spirits and his photographs. And spiritualism, it we don't think of it as being this really influential thing today, but it was a major, major movement in the United States and then spread to the rest of the world in the mid-19th century. Um, and the history of spiritualism, honestly, should be its own episode one day because it's fascinating, it's weird, it's strange, there's crazy stories. And essentially what spiritualism is, is some people call it a religion, but it's the belief that we, the living, can communicate with the dead. And I cannot stress, again, how big of a movement this was. It's said that about a third of the United States in the 1850s considered themselves spiritualists. And it's very American in the sense that it's open to all backgrounds, ethnicities, religions. So it's kind of got this freedom to it. Um, and the history of it, and I'll be as brief as possible with the history to it, but it is, again, this is important to understanding what's going on with Mumler. It theoretically started with uh, the Fox sisters. Have you ever heard of them, Tim? No, no. Oh, I haven't. Okay. Because you're not into this weird stuff like I am, I guess. I'm not a spiritualist, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, not yet. No, ooh. 
Now, now I'm going to see, <laughs> see if, if I can get me by the yeah, end of this. You've got, you've got an you. hour. Yeah. Uh, so the Fox sisters, there, there were actually more than two Fox sisters, but two of them are kind of the most famous because they're the ones that were supposedly mediums talking with Ghost. And a third of their, a, a third sister kind of helped manage their careers. And this started in 1848 in Hydesville, New York. So the Fox sisters, uh, they were, they basically heard rapping sounds like knocking weird noises in their house. And they claimed to their family that the noises were coming from an outside source. And their mother was like, oh, is this a spirit? And the sisters were like, yep, 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 mom, it's a spirit. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, it is. (laughs) Yes, it is. Um, And the sisters, this kind of, it it grew kind of rapidly and and spread and changed. The sisters started talking to spirits. Uh, They they became mediums before a medium was really a known thing. And they, they claimed that there was a spirit named Mr. Splitfoot. And later the spirit in the house, uh, they claimed was a murderer, like there had been a murder and there was a body hidden in the walls or under the floorboards or something like that. So already you can kind of guess just by my weird, vague anecdote that their stories changed very quickly. Um, and I don't mean to, you know, people that may be spiritualists listening to this episode, I don't mean to uh, say anything negative about your beliefs, but it is interesting that stories changed very quickly with the people that invented mm-hmm. spiritualism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Word spread uh, about the the sisters and their talents to communicate with the dead, and people began to come see them. Uh, so many people came to come see them that the family had to move. Like, they had to hide, essentially, because too many people were showing up to the house. And the sisters began basically having shows. And a lot of their shows revol- it, it, it initially involved the kind of rapping, the knocking sounds and things like that. Um, okay. Oh, did I did I just scare you? Was that? You just was that? <laughs> I'm starting to believe, Michael. I'm starting to believe. What did that Sorry. not come from? <laughs> Clearly, a ghost. It wasn't just yes. a person or uh, or literally anything else. Yes. Uh, yeah, it, okay. it just occurred to me that doing this remotely, because Tim and I are not in the same room, is that I could I could do some weird ghost effects and have you believe. <laughs> no. Since we have, are there any camera yeah. filters on this? Yes. Um, so why were so many people interested in this movement? And and I would say that we always have been, you know, there's there's ghost stories, there's vampire stories in history, there's uh, folklore going back to the beginning of human nature that always shows an interest in kind of supernatural forces. And I would also say some of the most popular reality television in the history of cable cable networks are ghost hunting shows and that honestly is a kind of a modern day take on the belief of spirits and communicating and seeing ghosts so again human nature doesn't change this is is something people have always been interested in and in the mid 19th century you also have the civil war and the civil war played a Mm -hmm. huge component of the spiritualist movement even though there was a bit of a peak of spiritualism in the 1850s it started to die out then the civil war happened and it picked back up again because so many people in the United States were were obviously being affected by the war and loot. Oh, just mass grief. Mass. I mean, across the almost, you know, I doubt there are many people who weren't affected by the Civil War. So you have that kind of uptick of just, you know, terrible sorrow and missing people and loved ones and, mm-hmm. you know, these terrible things happening. It's, it makes sense that there would be a desire, even if in the moment you felt like, okay, this maybe if this isn't real, but maybe if there's a chance that it is, I'm going to explore it because, you know, if there's a shot at, at communicating with somebody one more time, you're going to do it. Indeed. And that that goes to the whole nature of this story. That's why people wanted to go to William Mumler and get photographs. They wanted to see a deceased loved one that they missed and they wanted to have connection to that person. And, and that's where in the spiritualist movement, the seance seances started happening. Mediums became a thing and people keep communicating to deceased loved ones all throughout this and this kind of the spiritualism really started to die off kind of after world war one um mm. but it, it is where and and again in, in our modern senses when we see a movie or read a story where there's a seance and you know you're circled around the table and uh the movie the others comes to mind because there's a great seance scene in that at the end uh all of our our understanding or what we think happens in seances and what happens with mediums that all came from the spiritualist movement. Everything we think mm-hmm. of in terms of how people communicate with the dead or uh, or if we believe that sort of thing, how they communicate with the dead, it all comes from this. It all started with the Fox sisters. Uh, it is worth noting that later on in their lives, uh, the one of the Fox sisters actually started showing people how they pulled off the knockings and 
were mediums. They were faking it. Um, or at least that's what some people say, including one of the Fox sisters. And you can see yeah. pictures of them. You can see furniture they built to kind of create some of these effects happen without being caught. Well, it's no wonder that people like, I mean, like Harry Houdini was kind of famously yes. anti-spiritualist and yeah. was on a crusade to prove all of this was just nonsense. You yes. know, like that's the right person to be investigating this, whose entire life is centered around, you know, illusions. Mm-hmm that he wants people to believe and not be able to understand yeah. how they happen and all that kind of thing. So it, it meshes completely like, yeah. you know, I, I feel like, you know, one more sort of weird or bad childhood experience and he takes a slightly different tack and all of a sudden he's like the absolute king of spiritualists. Um, yeah. He yeah. devoted his entire life to, you know, tricking people in a way that was meant to sort of pull one over on them, you know, uh, mm-hmm. as sort of a ruse as opposed to just sort of like, I'm going to do these fantastical, amazing things. Yes. But I think it's so interesting that, yeah, and not a surprise really that he uh, ended up yeah. as as the sort of like the, the Ghostbuster, <laughs> as it were. Yeah, and it's, uh, so he was part of, I can't remember if he was part of the group, but there were other magicians and illusionists mm-hmm. that were, they formed groups to go and sort of catch these fake, yeah, fake like, mediums <laughs> and people in the so act. He, yeah. yeah, we're we're gonna know how they're doing it. This is good, right? Yep, this is, yep. <laughs> and and it was yeah, all. Yeah. It wasn't because they were trying to like ruin the careers of these mediums. It was because mediums are preying on people that are going yeah, through something, preying on grief, and right. and that okay. that's also what happens with William Mumler with his trial. Is he he supposedly was preying on people with their grief, and and mm-hmm. again allegedly, I have to say, um, kind of tricking people into it, and that's where people have a problem with this. Um, and, and also I'm glad you mentioned the Harry Houdini thing because my first instance of studying spirit photography was about seven or eight years ago when I was developing a movie script based on magicians trying mm. to uh, catch these sort of fake mediums and in seances that had trickery behind them. Uh, and it was a bit of like a, a Victorian era Ghostbusters movie that I, I do need to revisit because it was really cool. Yeah. Well, now yeah, it's out there and uh, somebody else can write it. That's good. <laughs> exactly. Someone write it. Just give me, give Cut me this some part out. Cut this there. part out. Right. <laughs> I um, wrote it too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't know what it's called. Can't give you many details, but <laughs> definitely yep. at least yep. 50%. Indeed. Indeed. Sorry. Anyway. Uh, no. So, so that's a, a very, very brief, probably technically incorrect history of the spiritualist movement, but in enough background there to kind of give you a lay of the land and where Mumler was coming from and sure. what was happening. So uh, in terms of Mumler, we sort of left yeah. him off where he he entered Hannah Stewart's studio and, and there was a crowd of people that wanted to talk to him and wanted to find out what he can do. And, you know, there was, there might have been that cha-ching moment where he heard the cash register noise oh for sure uh, I, I think that entire household was was feeling yeah. that i mean obviously you know all these all these uh new clients are coming in they all are fascinated by this thing it's sort of a curio and uh you know yeah I, i'm sure everyone was just seeing mass potential in this whether they believed in it or not necessarily and i would guess that at the time if even if he was like oh this is just kind of a you know, it may have been a technical accident that resulted in this sort of fantastical seeming thing. It all probably seemed fairly harmless. Didn't seem like, oh, he's like, oh, I'm going to go commit fraud now. It's, <laughs> it was just like, we're this, it's kind of like a funny thing and we're just going to do this. It's kind of like a parlor trick and everyone's having fun with it. Right. But then it probably grew and grew and spiraled out of control a little bit is my guess. So I, I would I would imagine that they didn't have sort of purely bad intentions from the jump, but it was more like, People are interested in this. Let's just kind of see where it goes. And then all of a sudden, it's just out, completely out of yeah. control. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, I kind of, it, we can talk about this a bit later, but you just said, like, you can imagine that it probably didn't start with bad intentions. If if if, if he's fake, and I will, I, I just want to clarify that because there are people that do believe in this stuff and I don't want to offend anybody. I do not believe that he was actually taking photos of spirits. That is, uh, I'll. I, if that's not can clear I, can already. I offend people because I'm a guest yes, yes I'm, in, I'm impermanent so yes. I can, I can speak my, I'll speak I'll speak for you yep um what Michael's trying to say is that <laughs> okay, <just laughs> my translator what he can't say for otherwise the sponsors will disappear indeed uh but no what let sponsors me, would bail on that anyway never mind no no, no no I, Sorry, I think it would be fine. <laughs> no but I, I I honestly don't believe he ever thought he was doing something with bad intentions even if he was a, a fraud I don't think he thought he was hurting anybody you know I think he thought he might have yeah. been bringing some sense of joy or 
something to to his clientele. So sure. um, I, I do think it's worth mentioning that. Like, I don't think he's an evil person, uh, even if he was a fake. No, I mean, it's entirely does. possible Tim that he does. isn't. <laughs> yeah, he may be. He may be the worst person ever, but I don't think so, not really. But I, I, I think more, I mean, honestly, as I'm thinking about it, more likely knowing, you know, people who are really involved in photography and, and, and technology, because that's what they were dealing with at the time, he was probably, you know, 70% just trying to figure out how to like make this work in an interesting way and kind of exploit this newfound thing, not necessarily in a bad way, but just like take it apart, see how it works. What else can we do with this? And it, you know, it's a little the, the, the hacker mentality of like, I just sort of discovered this new thing. What can we do with it? What do people not normally use this for that we can now use this for, I, I, you know, just discovering that, yeah, if you don't clean this quite well enough, you get this weird ghostly double exposure. It's like, well, what else, you know, what else can happen? What else can we do with this? And not, not again to, with the intention of like, oh, how can I do all these things to just like, uh, uh, you know, get money off of people, but just sort of like, cause it's just an interesting exploration of yeah. technology, which I think, I mean, people still it do is. that today. It is. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, yeah, this is, uh, you know, he's, he's the first that kind of figured this out. There were other people that kind of had discovered kind of double, double exposure, uh, instances, but uh, this is the the start of of a new understanding of what you could do within cameras, which is amazing. Yeah, once you get reusable with with the uh, uh, you know yeah. what's creating the image, mm -hmm. then yeah, some interesting possibilities open up because it wasn't like they're using film. That, you know, we I say we know not people under you know thirty because they don't know, but uh, yeah. you know rolls of film that were put into a camera. If you basically you just rewound it mm -hmm. and then went through it again, you know, you could, you could just expose again on something. And if you were yep. careful and methodical about it, you could get some really interesting and purposeful images. But absolutely, uh, at the time, I mean, that's all brand new. They just didn't know yeah. what it was. So it's really wild. Yeah. And so his, his clientele kind of grows very quickly. He, he starts taking spirit photos for a bunch of people. It started, he would not guarantee the appearance of a, of a spirit at first. But he was charging ten dollars for a dozen prints, which apparently was a lot which more. Which is three hundred and fifty thousand dollars <laughs> right, in today's, today's money. money. <laughs> uh, it was a lot $10. more than other. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it was a lot more than other photographers were charging at the time. And he also, in this time period of the early eighteen sixties, got married to Hannah. And hmm. around eighteen sixty three, though, very quickly, people started to question these spirit photographs and they started to investigate and scrutinize uh william mumler and try to figure out what's going on here yeah I bet, I bet some other photographers were getting in on that a little bit like oh he's isn't that just two pictures <laughs> like, dude uh yeah and then dude, and then yeah. you just you just teed up my next section oh, perfect. Like I didn't just I didn't just blow act three. No. That's good. Okay. No, no. Right, you yeah. you can you're the guest. You can you can totally ruin I all my it, plans. I can do whatever I want. Let's um, talk about cars. What? No, <laughs> <laughs> what about a ghost car? Uh, we yeah. did talk we did talk about those on the show or at I know. Least I would, research some of those. Yeah. Uh, we should do yeah, another like episode. Zach Vegas. Of this. I know. I know. Yep. Come on, Zach. Um, so anyway, uh, the, yes, other photographers started to take an interest, and there's a photographer named James Wallace Black who took the first aerial picture of Boston in 1860s. So he was rather, mm. rather famous at the time because of that. And he had learned from the daguerreotypist J.J. LaRoe in the 1840s. So he had been a professional photographer for decades, so way more experienced than William Umler, who was brand new to the art form. And he was based in Boston right around the corner. And uh, if you remember H.F. Gardner from our, from our recreation scene, uh, he had been telling people to inspect and investigate William Mumler's work because if William Mumler is a fake, then he's he's a fake. If it's sure. real, then it supports the spiritualist movement, which is what Gardner wanted. So he wanted people to investigate Mumler and and find out if this guy was a fraud or not. So uh, James Wallace Black, he had a studio just blocks from Mumler's engraving shop. And also from the Banner of Light offices, the Banner of Light was a publication that was a spiritualist mm. publication. And Gardner took a picture from that newspaper to Black and asked if he could go basically study William Mumler, because Black is such a respected photographer. But Black, uh, whether he was too busy or just didn't want to do it or didn't care, he sent his assistant, a guy named Horace Weston, to Hannah Stewart's studio to investigate Mumler. And Horace thought he could spot something amiss 
but he couldn't. He he watched Mumler and and had some pictures taken. And uh, there's a quote that uh, after. Weston went back to his employer, his boss, and said, all I can say, Mr. Black, is that I have seen nothing different from taking an ordinary picture. So Hmm. uh, Black and other professional photographers thought that Horace was duped and they kind of laughed at him. (laughs) Poor little assistant. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Yes. Um, (laughs) So Weston went back to Mumler and asked if James Wallace Black, his employer, could come and watch. And Black had actually left a, a message with his assistant to uh, say that essentially if Mumler could do this without be basically if Mumler could do this without getting away that he's fake, like if he could pull one over on Black, Black would pay him, I think, $50. And so now, Tim, we're going to do our second Ooh. recreation. So you got to pull up. All right, I'm ready. Pull up scene two. So oh, I got to get my accent ready. Yeah. Yes. Yes. My my seven accents. Or or, or, or try to decide which one is going to yes. come, come out. If I have any. Um, if I have any. Uh... So this is a dramatization okay. of when James Wallace Black, the famous Boston photographer, visits William Mumler to see if okay. Mumler is a truthful spirit photographer or not. Oh, uh, I'll continue to be Mumler. Mumler, yeah, perfect, perfect. All right. Okay. Mrs. Stewart's photography studio, evening in Boston, Massachusetts. The front door slowly opens, as if by itself or a slight silent wind. The setting sun outlines a silhouette of a man in a large hat and flowing cape. Mumler watches the silhouette, intrigued, but too intimidated to say anything. Mumler realizes the fancy-dressed man is James Wallace Black. Uh, Mr. Black, welcome. I've heard of your generous offer of $50. All I can say is be thorough in your investigations. You may be rest assured of that. Mumler gestures toward the camera in the center of the room. That is the instrument I propose to take your pictures with. You're at liberty to take it to pieces. I see. You bastard. <laughs> Mr. Black, this is the glass I propose to take your picture on. You're at liberty to clean it. Mr. Black grabs the glass plate from Mumler and breathes onto it. He inspects the foggy glass and determines it to be clean. I do not lose sight of this from this time. Mumler gestures for Black to sit in a chair in the center of the room, then places the glass plate in the camera. When everything is ready, he removes the cover of the lens, waits a long moment, and then places the cover back on. Mr. Mumler, I am willing to bet one thing. You have my picture, but I guess that is all. Very likely. I do not get them every time. (laughs) The men move quickly to another room where Black watches Mumler work with the chemicals to produce the negative. You are not smart enough to pull anything on that negative without my detecting it. Mumler continued the process, ignoring Black's condescending tone. Suddenly, another shape begins to emerge. (gasps) Wait, is that... My God, is it... It is possible! (laughs) Said said Mumler... (laughs) Said Mumala. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that is exactly what happened. Based on what? Well, Your communication uh, with Mumala? Yes, is that what you're indeed. saying? I, I, it's, look, I, I'm still new to the podcast. I realize a mistake I made early on, everybody. Uh, a lot of the, the dialogue in that scene was... Oh, God, did I? I did. I did. <laughs> Sorry. Goodness. Just wanted to kill your confidence uh, for uh, one yeah, second. Yeah, no, Sorry, no. It's easy what to was do that. that. Uh, no, I was going to mm. say up front of the show, my primary source of information, uh, I, I read a lot in a, in a couple different books, but my prime source of information for today is a book called The Apparitionists, A Tale of Phantoms, Fra- Fraud, Photography, and The Man Who Captured Lincoln's Ghost by Peter Manso. And uh, there are historical documents, there's newspaper accounts, there's quotes that mm. make up uh including the scene we just did. Some of those are actual quotes from interviews with uh, the gentlemen involved. So uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun with the language from back then. It's pretty cool. Uh, cool. So anyway, uh, Mr. Black was not the only photographer to investigate William Mumler. There are a number of others that I won't get into. Um, just briefly, there's a guy named L.H. Hale, um, Andrew Jackson Davis, who was not a photographer, but he was a famous spiritualist. Uh, there's, there's there's just a bunch of people that went and visited William Mumler and tried to figure out how he did it, and they could not 
figure it out. And they inspected his glass plates. They tried to watch him to see if he was pulling a fast one on him. Um, and again, no one was ever able to kind of find out how he did this. I mentioned Andrew Jackson Davis, who was a famous spiritualist. Uh, he was known as the seer of Poughkeepsie. And he sent a guy named William Guy. Um, I think that's how you say his name. Uh, write in. Let me know, everybody. Email me. Let me know if I if I need to say that name differently. <laughs> Any William Guy fans out there? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure people know this story, so it is possible. So uh, Guy watched Mumler very closely. He even helped clean the glass plate and prepare the camera, and he set for a lot of pictures for William Mumler. And Guy saw his father in the photos that that were taken of himself, a father he had not seen since he had left Germany many years previous to that. Uh, and so that's a worthy note, because if people think that Mumler may have been taking other photos of these relatives and using those for the double exposures, uh, this guy did not have a picture of his dad. And neither, hmm. William Mumler definitely wouldn't have. That would be impossible at the time. So this was taken as, a, in a, as an endorsement of the legitimacy of William Mumler at the time. However, around 1863, a spiritualist editor named John Lathan was at the Banner of Light offices, and he saw a Mumler picture from one of the publications. And it showed a woman named Mrs. Blossom of New York, and she claimed that uh, her mother was the spirit in the picture with her. And the Banner of Light was using this picture as proof of you know the, the legitimacy of spiritualism. Lathan thought he had seen the picture before or the picture of the spirit before. So he and a friend of his named Mr. Pollock um, went and visited a, a woman that they thought was the ghost. Essentially, the ghost was a real live woman, not Mrs. Blossom's mother, but a real live woman. <laughs> uh, and they visited her and they showed her the picture and she didn't like that she was being used as a ghost. And they asked her, like, well, where where did this image of you come from? And she actually knew the picture. So she was able to go and get a copy of this picture that was taken of her. And she showed it to the guys and said, this is the picture. And sure enough, it matched the ghost in this other photo. And uh, Latham and his friend turned the picture over that she gives them. And on the back of it, there is uh, the words, Mrs. Stewart's Photographic Gallery. So it, <laughs> the original picture that was used as a spirit was from the same gallery that Mumler was taking his photos in. And that is where we're actually going to end part one of the story of William Mumler and spirit photography. I'm going to release part two at the same time as part one. So if you want to keep listening to Tim and I chat about spirits and ghosts and photography, just click on that and keep going. Thank you all so much for listening to A Study of Strange. If you enjoy this type of content, please subscribe, rate, and review. You all know how important that is for a podcast to be successful. We also have a Patreon page with additional exclusive content, and there's show notes and information about all of that on astudyofstrange.com. You're also welcome to reach out with ideas, reactions, theories, even episode ideas send me a message at a study of strange at gmail.com uh coming up not only do we have part two but we also have a very special guest who's an expert on the biggie smalls murder who is going to chat with me uh on the episode after we finish part two uh and then after that we have a story that i've always wanted to explore about the bennington triangle in beautiful southern vermont uh that is very interesting as well so thank you all again. Thank you, Tim. And keep listening. I guess. What do you say at the end of these things? <laughs>